Welcome to Purpose and Productivity, a podcast made possible by the SkyPass Group of Companies and SkyLife Success. Join Krish Dunham, an author and speaker whose messaging has been described as the junction where God's ability and man's availability meet hope's accessibility. Greetings, everybody. This is Krish Dunham coming to you from Dallas, Texas. Uh, Looking back at the years that's gone by and looking ahead at the one that will hopefully come here quickly. 2020 has brought us to our knees in many different ways, but through it all, we're trying to create some kind of hope and optimism that we have a formula to look look at, look with, and look through. Today, I want to share with you something that uh, was birthed out of a lot of the discourse I've seen over the last four months in a toxic uh, election campaign and the results that uh, some doubt, some uh, declare, whatever it is. I call this the irony of evil because regardless of which way you look at the world as we exist in it right now, Something has drastically happened on the landscape in the last 40 years that has gone almost unnoticed. Now, granted that the moralist philosophers of our time and the apologists and the people who brought the ethos, the pathos and the logos and the rhetoric that we argued with, when you look at it through the lens of anthropology and all that, you can say, hey, society was ready for an upheaval. Uh, sociology had come to that brink where people had to understand that they were haves and have-nots and this is the year 2020 and regardless of which way you slice and dice your theological or your moral being there is a reality out there in the way culture is going to perform culture is going to produce and we need to acknowledge that we need to accept that we need to approve that we need to applaud that but there is a distinct irony of this evil And this evil is the absence of good. Now, that's what I want to anchor on. Again, I'm not talking about evil in some kind of a demonic force. Maybe that's what it is. But I'm not going to talk about it because I don't have the theological background to talk about it. But is there a rivalry to good? Is there a basic defense mechanism against morality? Is righteousness and sovereignty and sanctity on attack? When you look at the discourse of people and the dialogues of people on the street and you look at the rhetoric that uh, they try to use to defend their position, it goes against every grain of common sense. That people are arguing about things they have no basis arguing on because they have no data to back up their argument. It's just a mob whipped into a frenzy. Now, I'm not talking about either side of the equation, right or left, political or apolitical. I'm just talking about humanity 101, 7.85 billion denizens on planet Earth with a very limited knowledge of the geography that is all of Earth, with a very limited understanding of the anthropology of how civilizations were formed, with a very limited clarity of the civics that govern nations and govern their principles, with a limited understanding of the difference between something as simple as a democracy and a republic, with a very simple uh, illiteracy on something as foundational as the Constitution, Emotion seems to be whipping us up into a mentality of ignorance that is not only unstable, it is, um, it is something that cannot stand the test of time. 
The price people will pay if they do not recognize the irony of evil is something quite drastic. How did A.W. Tozer put it many years ago? And I'd like to paraphrase when he says it is highly improbable that when what God wants to use for great good will not first come out of great pain. That if God wants to use someone greatly, that he won't hurt them deeply. I know on one side we have people praying on our knees for the country of the United States and said, let God's will be done on the land. Every country is praying to their gods, asking for deliverance from the totalitarianism that seems to be on one side and the freedom that seems to be clamored on the other side. But again, I come from the centrist uh, position, even though I have beliefs, I always try to posit what I have by sharing both sides of the equation and allowing people to make up their mind. At the end of it, you may still disagree with me. But the first thing in understanding the irony of evil is anticipation, which is when, when it is offered to you, does it contradict your basic values? I know good, honest people, tax-paying, law-abiding, church-going people who vote one way when it comes to voting because it's offered in a package that is contradictory, but at the same time, the sweetness of that contradiction seems to overcome any belief they have in the foundational truths with which they were raised. Like I said, I come and always speak from a point of experience and sometimes from a point of great personal pain. But the reason I offer this transparency to you today, this Tuesday, November 11, 2020, is just that. The other day I was talking to my dad on my morning walk and the date was November 8th, I think, and he reminded me that November 8th, 51 years ago, my dad had uh, physically hit me Quite uh, severe was that beating that someone took me out of the house after a period of time. And as I whimpered and lay somewhere with a friend, my dad's rage only cooled off later that night. But the reason he had physically hit me so hard, I remember, he doesn't remember when he called me and he says, was I really so hard on you people? I do want to apologize. I said, Pop, you don't need to apologize. We turned out okay. But my dad had this feeling that he had physically reprimanded me with no reason. And there was a reason. I had been disrespectful to my mother. And my father reacted that way worse than I'd ever seen him react before. November 8, 1969, 2.30 in the afternoon, Seoul, South Korea. I had been derogatory and disrespectful to my mother. I think I made a gesture to her that was not kind. And my father leapt from his seat and walloped me left and right. Now, the reason I share that is when I had this conversation with my father now 51 years later, we are looking at it through a different lens. Society today would not have tolerated that kind of beating. I could have probably gone to the authorities if that happened today and said my dad hit me and they would have taken me out of that house and put me through some kind of system, hoping that society can raise our children better than we can. Well, that is a fundamental fallacy. Parents are blessings. They're supposed to raise their children. Now, I'm not again. Remember, I know some people who listen to this who have been through hardship will say, this happened to me. That's the exception. The norm is a majority of parents do take care of their children. A majority of parents do consider their offspring a very significant gift to them and raise them in that likeness. But anticipation comes in when society desires that they can raise your children better than you. And sometimes people who go through some kind of deep hardship immediately say, hey, this sounds beautiful. It contradicts my values because I was bounced around. 
But as a result of that, I really do think they know better. Now, we have to take a step back and ask ourselves if these people passing these laws and offering these contradictory beliefs actually believe it themselves. Take something as simple as the education of your child. I understand the need. I went through some kind of private education. My parents worked very hard for it. I grew up in India. Government education usually came up short, but in the United States, it's a very different issue. My son went to an exemplary school district, even though he went to public school after having qualified for private. I wanted private education for him, not because my son would be better. He did well eventually. I wanted private education for him because I'd have bragging rights at boring parties. And as a result of that, you know, the contradiction in because the package is offered that somehow there is a beauty in the way it's offered. But let me take you one step further. Now, if I was to go into the public discourse and we talked about public education versus private education and took the familial unit out of it and bought the anticipation of someone offering something contradictory to our values, here's how that posit would sound. Hey, not everybody has access to private education, and those that have access to private education have an unfair advantage. As a result, we need to pump undue amount of money into public education and not give the same benefits to private education. What have we done? We have taken the word education and decided that the value coefficient attached to education has nothing to do with the value of having an educated populace, but the desire of how many people need to get it. Now, inner city schools seem to underperform versus uh, suburban schools, and the rift has now begun. But here's the beauty of it. The beauty of it is these people mandating that you send your children to a public school because we need to increase the funding for a public school almost always will send their children to a private school. The hypocrisy is quite glaring, but nobody sees through the hypocrisy because we are looking at the beauty of this, the beauty of this evil being offered to us because the beauty is offered to us in a nice, comfortable package with a neat bow on top. So you don't realize, you always think it is for the greater good, but you don't understand what's trying to be upended. And this is why I implore people, whenever you have a doubt that something contradicts your foundational value, don't go into it by listening to the person who offers it to you. First ask them, are they doing it for themselves? For the very reason, when we went through insurance, I know I pay a high premium because my wife is in the high risk category. So she has to subscribe to something with pre-existing conditions based on what the exchange will offer. As a result of that, we pay a very steep price. But when this package was offered to us, it was offered to us by a bunch of people who have a very different package for themselves. Like I said, it's not politics. Anticipation makes you understand the irony of evil. When what is offered contradicts your values. Second is the beautification. Irony of evil is often made in beautification. First is anticipation. Now this is my ABCD. Anticipation, second is beautification. When what is offered is to convince you, its, its package is to convince you, which means the scenery is altered. The visual image of euphoria and utopia is pre pre presented to you. Recently, there was an African-American lady who ran for Congress in the city of Baltimore, a city that produced some legends in terms of their stints in Congress, people who fought in the civil rights movements. These were great icons of a race of people and a movement of a group of people that saw them to the very heights of prominence because they walked hand in hand at a time of great at injustice. 
The beautification was, if you give us the opportunity to represent you, we will transform these surroundings. Let's go back to the original speech when Dr. Martin Luther King said, I have a dream that one day my four children will not be judged by the color of the skin, but by the content of their character. He went on to talk about cashing in on a check of promise, an IOU that had been made to the African-American community that had ever. Now, I speak as a first-generation immigrant. I wasn't there during the civil rights era. I've talked about it in my books. In fact, I just wrote a book called Twilight, where a white man from Mississippi liberated my thought process, and the book is uh, now available on Amazon, and we can check the links and all of the other stuff. But let's go back to the city of Baltimore. A young lady comes up, and she's her campaign ad, and I don't think she won. I haven't followed that up, but I'll watch the campaign ad. The campaign ad was to take you through the inner cities of Baltimore and show you the reality of what 50 years of promise have done which means 50 years people have believed in a promise because the irony of evil was offered as beautification. If we pump more money into your cities, if we pump more money into the education, if we increase the government interaction with you, somehow your life will change and the beauty of the scenery will change. But the scenery hasn't changed, but all those things were still done. Tons of amount of dollars were pumped in there, but where did they go? You know, what happens is the beauty is that anytime someone says they can do more for you than you can do for yourself, quickly realize this. If you need 100 to fend for yourself, the person who campaigns for you will need 1,000 to fend for you because he'll need three other people to do the work. And that's the beauty of self-evident truth. When you look at something that was given to us as a declaration, uh, it's quite fascinating, and that's one of the reasons that I kind of go off on these tirades. But the irony of evil is offered through anticipation when what is offered contradicts values. It's offered through beautification when what is offered is a package to convince you this is the scenery. The third is confirmation. Remember, A, B, C, D. Anticipation, beautification, confirmation, and declaration. Confirmation, when what is offered is considered normal. This seems to be the greatest change in the last 15 years. Everything that contradicts us, everything that makes us ask ourselves, I can't believe this is right. I can't believe this makes sense. I can't believe this kind of stuff needs to exist. You know, when borders are considered bigoted automatically. Now, I'm speaking as an immigrant. I was allowed into this country. I came here legally. My wife was born here and raised in India. So technically, if you talk to her, she could be considered an anchor baby, even though she never stayed here, but she was given India, U.S. citizenship because she was born here. I'm not fighting the issue. I'm just looking at the law. We came in legally. But if borders are always bigoted and sovereignty is always a sin and principles are always prejudiced, then the confirmation of this irony is when what is offered is considered normal. So somehow, if you say that I disagree with the immigration policy, if you're on one side of the equation, you're considered noble. If you're on the other side of the equation, you're considered bigoted. You're not considered not noble, but immediately you're branded racist or prejudicial. Now, that's a far stretch. Think about it. The irony of evil is good, honest, tax-paying, law-abiding people trying to find hope, trying to raise their children. If I move to suburbia, I'm considered prejudicial. If I send my children to a 
private school, I'm considered prejudicial. If I don't, uh, if I believe that borders need to be enforced or we had to kind some kind of, whatever it is, the confirmation of the irony of evil is always presented in a way that when it is offered, it is considered normal and any thinking against what is offered as normal is an outlier thinking, is an outcast thinking. How detrimental is this to your own thought process and your hope? I cannot even begin to fathom because the amount of innovation that will steal, it's, will be stolen from humanity if people are not going to get the liberty of individual thought and the flowering of that thought is not only frightening, it is fragmenting in front of our eyes at a pace that is going to be so uh, deliberate and so detrimental. And lastly, the declaration. So anticipation, beautification, confirmation, declaration. I know this is a strange podcast, but as a result, I wanted to give it to you in the way it appeared to me. In the sense that when I heard a lady who was at one time in charge of a medical facility that uh, performed abortions. Now, again, we're not talking about the legality of it or the illegality of it. Many of you listening from other countries where this is illegal may not understand this concept. But in the United States, it's legal. It has been for a number of years. But this lady who ran an organization that supported it, canvassed it, and actually got great funding to enforce it, and millions of babies have been aborted as a result, had this audacity to offer in one of her tweets. She was talking about a woman who had risen to very high positions of power, who had a very unusual name, and her tweet simply said this, it is fascinating to think because of this new ceiling that has been broken as to how many new daughters born in the near future will be given this very unusual name. And I thought to myself, on one side, you stood up on a moral high ground and said that eliminating such children, if the mother chose to eliminate them, is not only righteous, it is legal. Now, on the other side, you're offering hope through that illegality, saying, on the strange chance, if they decide to choose to keep that child, then naming them because... And I thought to myself, isn't it fascinating that everybody who now is in a position, and I love how Eric Metaxas put it many years ago, and it stunned the audience on a major network, when they asked him about his views on abortion, and he says, so-and-so, and so-and-so, and so-and-so seem to be in favor of this particular issue. And Eric Metaxas' response, of course, he of uh, the Bonhoeffer and Martin Luther King books fame, Eric Metaxas said this, it's fascinating, yes, because all those people canvassing for this thing are already born. It makes a difference which side of the womb you're on before you can have that moral. But the declaration, when what is offered controls the narrative. This woman believed that abortion is legal, but in the strange stance that the abortion is not carried out and the child is born, then that child can and would and should accept the name of this other woman who rose to the very heights. Nobody ever thought for a moment, what if that mother many, many years ago chose to abort that child? Would that child now be at the very heights of prominence? Now, I don't want you to look at me and start judging me in terms of conviction or uh, convenience, but look at it from the character standpoint. What we are seeing in society today, and this is the pivot, what we are seeing in society today is an irony of evil. Good has become bad, black has become white, uh, evil has become good, and uh, when 
the anticipation of this evil is the first place where the guards are drawn. The anticipation, when what is offered contradicts the values. Look at the church universal. How many of the churches today will say, I subscribe to the fundamental ethos that the Bible is the inerrant, infallible word of God? Immediately, they'll be caught into scrutiny saying, do you believe every word of God? Do you believe literally? Do you believe when Jesus said, I was the door, that he's a literal door? And you say, no, that's a metaphor. So you believe that. And they'll take you down that path because they refuse to accept the fact that anybody with absolutes has any reason to coexist. So you go down that abstract path. First is anticipation, that seductive anticipation of what is being offered, contradicting your foundational values. Second, the beautification. When what is offered is packaged to convince you that the scenery will improve. And if you just hold out, uh, remember a couple of months ago, we talked about the Mad Max world of the view or the Star Wars world of the view. And right now, artificial intelligence is creating more consternation than it is creating hope. The confirmation is when what is offered is considered normal. Here's where the narrative is completely flipped. And the declaration when what is offered actually controls that narrative. I want to unearth some more of these because I think it's affecting productivity. I think it's defeating purpose. And ultimately, as we go through these changes, I am believing in my own heart or mind that the number of people speaking up against truth, which by nature is exclusive, is diminishing. Most people are pandering because they want to be liked. And there's a difference between being liked, and I shared this on another podcast or with another group of people on a Zoom call. I said, I don't want to go through life being accepted just because there's some broad umbrella. Okay, here's a brown-skinned guy from India, first-generation immigrant who has a careful ability to articulate his vocabulary. I not only want to be accepted, I want to be appreciated and I want to be applauded. That requires taking a stand. But most people are content standing on the periphery, going through the motions, not saying, hey, it doesn't hurt me. Well, a number of people said it doesn't hurt me in the heart of Russia. Look what happened. Many people said it doesn't hurt me when Hitler began to challenge some of the notions of his time, uh, a person who had... Uh, we know what happened with the result of the Reich and the annihilation of the Jewish people. Again, I think the time has come. We are on the cusp. Maybe 2020 was a wake-up call and 2021 will be the place where we look and say, what do I want my productivity to be? What do I want my journey to signify? How do I want it to make sense to me? I hope I was able to at least awaken you in a, awaken in you a desire to look at the anticipation, to look at the beautification, to look at the confirmation, and look at the declaration and ask yourself, are we really in this position of the irony of evil because we have refused to understand what irony is or we have gone past the point of no return where we don't know what evil is? Until next time, this is Chris Dunham. God bless you. Good luck. That concludes another episode of Purpose and Productivity with Chris Dunham, brought to you by Skylife Success. Please subscribe, rate, and visit us on the web at chrisdunham.com and skylifesuccess.com, where you can find our social media links and access to additional resources. Till next time, happy learning and happy living.